Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. As we begin, we pray, Lord, sanctify us in truth. Your word is truth. When the world gets really, really dark, that's how we see the light shine even brighter. I've already heard, I've heard a great, great thing to bring up, actually, while we're talking about signs, miracles, and wonders. I've actually heard a rumor that just in the last uh, couple weeks, the church has exploded over in Afghanistan as far as new believers. And from supposedly credible sources, uh, it's gone from like 200 and something up to over 2,500 people in the last couple weeks while all this stuff's been going on. Also, there have supposedly been miracles taking place as far as God giving people direction in how to uh, escape and get around the folks who are looking for them. And, um, you know, again, we don't, we don't deny miracles. We don't deny, we're not, we're, I'm not, I don't want anybody to think that what I'm saying is that God uh, doesn't do these things. I just wanted to make sure everybody knows the purpose of miracles, the purpose that Jesus did them, the apostles did them, was during times of revelation, and now there are not appointed men of God who are like healers out there supposed to be healing. That it's that scripture is very clear about this stuff. But but God can do whatever He wants, and these are these are providential miracles. Okay, this is providence. This is God's sovereign plan unfolding. And he's going to do whatever he needs to do to make certain that his plan comes about. And we see that in the case of him knocking uh, Saul off of his donkey. We see that in the case of him breaking uh, Paul and Silas out of prison, you know, or out of jail at night. And, and the uh, centurion and their families getting saved. I mean, the gospel will go forth and the church will uh, persist to spread the gospel as, as God has called them to do. So yeah, miracles are going to happen along the way. We just don't seek miracles. Miracles are not the point. And that's the whole uh, thing that I've been sharing with you the last couple weeks um, is that we have a healthy understanding, a biblical understanding of signs, miracles, and wonders. So let's pray and then we'll get into this. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. We thank you for freedom in you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for uh, the power of the Holy Spirit and walking in the power of the Spirit and uh, in in the the knowledge of the Word and how it can transform us and allow us, Lord, to see the world from your perspective. It's not a time uh, to freak out. It's a time uh, to put our faith in you, Lord, and really dig into what you've called us to do. So, Lord, today we seek your Word for truth. Enlighten us and open our minds to the truth of your Word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So signs, miracles, and wonders. What can we expect now? What can we expect today? And I want to start with the greatest miracle that happens today, uh, a supernatural event that takes place in the world on a daily basis, and that is when a sinner gives their life to Christ, when they, they bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and they make Him the Lord of their life, and the Holy Spirit regenerates this, this believer and transforms him and takes him out of the kingdom of darkness and transfers him or her into the kingdom of light. That is a miracle. That is a, that is a God thing that takes place. I think we're 
in the wrong if we don't consider someone, someone's eternity switching from eternal darkness to eternal light not being a miracle. It's absolutely a miracle. In Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 9, Romans 10, 9, I'm going to, I'm going to repeat those things often, the, the scripture references today often since I don't have them on the screen and you want to write them down or give you time to get there. So Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, that means more than lip service, obviously, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. Now that word saved in the Greek is uh, sotha, okay? And, it's, uh, and, and here's what it means. It is a verb. It is future, indicative, passive, all right? Now, why that's important is when we believe the word of God, even down to the grammar, is divinely inspired, Okay, if you want to understand what someone is saying uh, when they're writing something, then you have to consider the grammar. You have to consider the tense and and all of that. We believe that the Bible is literally true. It's historically true. Uh, it's grammatically true. Okay, we take it literally on all those counts, and that's how we come to the clearest explanation and understanding of God's word. So this word sotha uh, means to save. Heal, preserve, rescue from a primary issue or crisis or SOS, okay? Uh, to save, to deliver, or to protect. Now, here's an example of where the grammar uh, is important. So it is a uh, future passive uh, word, and here's examples. Someone will clean the room. They will take a picture of the building. Both parties will sign the contract. That's what, it's got a future tense to it. So when Jesus and the apostles did it, the command was made, the person obeyed the command, and miracles happened immediately in the case of miracles. And, and we, we talked about over the last two weeks why Jesus and the apostles perform miracles and why biblically you and I are not qualified as they were to do the things that they did in that foundational period of the apostolic age of the early church. Their immediate healing signs and wonders were to serve a purpose in God's plan to validate them as having the authority to speak revelation from God. Okay, it's so important to understand. However, there's a difference in interpreting Scripture in what is descriptive. This is really, really important. When you're reading the Bible and you're reading books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, we read it as there are two ways to read it, descriptive and prescriptive. All right? And this is where we get things mixed up sometimes. All right? Um, so, so descriptive is describing the events that took place. And and then you've got prescriptive, which is prescribing things in Scripture that you and I must do, that we're responsible for. So descriptive, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and part of Acts. And then prescriptive, what are we prescribed? What are we commissioned to do as the body of Christ? So if we take something that Jesus said to the 12 disciples or the, or, or the apostles and we apply it to us today then we're going to get in uh, some confusion about what the Bible is actually saying. It's always leading in uh, into confusion. So for instance, if I read, um, I didn't write my reference down here, but uh, 
I believe it's Mark, it's at the end of the book. These signs will accompany those who have believed, all right? This is, this is quoted often. These signs will accompany those who have believed. Now, when you're just reading this and, and it says those who believed, you think, well, that's talking about all of us. We believe. So this, this um, applies to us. But if you read it in its context, right before this, Jesus was scolding the 12 for their unbelief, specifically the ones in the, in the grouping that did not believe, specifically later on, Judas, because Judas betrayed Christ. So he's saying these signs will accompany those who have believed. These, these disciples who will become apostles, in my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So here's the deal. Anytime we do not rightly divide Scripture, you've got people in Kentucky at their church service this morning handling snakes, okay? They, they take something that's written in, script in, in Scripture that is descriptive and they take it as prescriptive. Do you guys understand that? So, so part of our job as rightly dividing the truth is digging in and learning what things in Scripture are descriptive and primarily... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and part of Acts until we get the transition into the church age. Then we begin to get into some prescriptive type things, but you have to be careful even with that because it was the early age of the apostles. That first century in which the apostles, through their hands, they performed signs, miracles, and wonders. And, and if you weren't here last week, I would refer you back to that uh, sermon last week as I uh, un- laid all of that out. So, God's plan is unfolding, and I'd like to use some theater terms here to help you understand in rightly dividing. There are different characters in the story of God's Word. There are different stages upon which the the story unfolds. There are different acts, okay, acts one and two. There are periods of intermission between the the, uh, the, the testaments, those 400 years of silence. Um, if you get these things wrong and you take everything in the Old Testament and apply it to you, or you take everything in the Gospels and apply it to you, you take things in Acts and you apply it to you, you can see how that can get you very confused. You'll get your theology wrong. Okay? So, um, if you get your theology wrong on the grand stage, like in front of the world, then you do things like that that uh, church that's, you know, holding up signs saying God hates homosexuals and all that kind of stuff, okay? Like when you get your theology wrong, then you dishonor God publicly because you don't know what you're talking about, okay? Same, things, uh, same thing happens when you see something that's intended for the future and you apply it to us today. And this happens all the time. Um, here's one doctrine that's currently being taught uh, is that God wants to heal everybody right now. Across the board, God wants to heal everybody right now. So that's being promoted out in the body of Christ today by many teachers out there right now. He wants to save you. He wants to heal you right now. And they use that word sosa because it says, to save you, you shall be saved. And that includes physical healing right now. That includes everything that you need right now. Okay, that it's not future, it's not about eternity, it's about right now. You can have the abundant life right now 
anything you want right now, okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? You can have your best life right now, physically. That's what they're promoting. That's what they're saying. And they all base it on that word, sosa, okay? Because it mentions healing and it mentions, Jesus mentions the abundant life and all of that. So it is true that we are healed. It is true that we will see a glorified body in the future and you and I will no longer have these messed up bodies. Amen, right? Um, We are going to get glorified bodies. Um, But are we promised physical healing right now? Is that something God's word promises to us? Physical healing right now and God across the board wants to heal everybody who has that issue. Well, let's let the Bible interpret the Bible, okay? Let's exhaust every every possible interpretation in Scripture with Scripture first before we start forming opinions and speculating, all right? 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. For you have been called for this purpose because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you would follow in His steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. And while being abusively insulted, He did not insult them in return. While suffering, He did not threaten, but kept entrusting Himself to Him who judges righteously. That's God, right? Listen to this, verse 24. And He Himself brought our sins in His body upon the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness by His wounds. You were healed. Scripture, interpreting Scripture, it doesn't mean that you get your healing right now. It's, it's, referencing, it's referencing salvation. Look at verse 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, shepherd, the guardian of your soul. So the power and consequences of sin is what we needed to be healed from immediately to secure our eternity and place our eternity in the hands of Almighty God where it's safe eternally. Again, when we take promises to be fulfilled uh, in eternity and we claim that they are the physical reality today. Um, by the way, this is called overrealized eschatology, all right? There's, there's also the, the teaching of uh, kingdom now theology. It's, it's saying that all the promises of the coming kingdom, the eternal state and the thousand year reign of Christ, that we get those now. And that if we're going to change, that it's our job, the church's job, to change the world. So we need to infiltrate these seven mountains of influence in our culture and we need to really take over. The church needs to take over. And eventually when we build the world up to the point where we're righteous at a certain righteous level, then Jesus is going to come back. But that's not what the Bible teaches at all. That's, that's really the only problem with that belief system is that the Bible doesn't teach that. Um, that's called overrealizing eschatology, that you that you're taking promises that were given for eternity and you're claiming them right now, like you're glorified now. You can know everything 
Jesus knows. I know people today who believe that the mind of Christ means that I can read people's minds because Jesus knew what people think, were thinking, then I can know what, Jesus, uh, what people are thinking, and I can actually read people's minds. And you've got teachers out there today who are actually practicing this, and it's almost like the same thing you see when you turn on the TV and see a psychic do a cold reading. They're like, so you've got this guy, his name's Phil... Uh, 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 Ron? Yeah, yeah, Ron. That's it. That's what. Yeah, but they're actually doing these cold readings with people the same way a psychic would do. Guys, that's new age. That's, that's not of God. And it's not scriptural at all. You need to be very, very careful. But basically, you are, fully, you are fully healed right now. You can have anything you want right now. So the unfortunate next conclusion to that is when things don't turn out the way... Uh, we believe they're supposed to turn out. When we pray, and we've done all we can to pray and lay hands on, there was a, a, a dear woman, a member of my church, that, that prayed, uh, claimed her healing uh, daily, took communion daily. We, we uh, anointed her with oil uh, probably four times in a five-year period. Um, she was fighting cancer. We prayed for her healing. The elders and uh, laid hands on her several times. We prayed for healing for her. And I did, I mean, she fought the good fight. She passed away about uh, four months ago and went to be with Jesus. So what happens in those cases where we pray, if your doctrine says everybody should be healed, then the only next logical step is that, you know, that person didn't have enough faith or there was some secret hidden sin in their life that was keeping them from being healed. It causes you to go down that road of then blaming someone because they are suffering from cancer. And, and y'all, um, it's that mindset. Again, I want what I want and I want it right now. My, basically my faith, and here's the way they view faith, that my faith is a lever that I use to force God to get Him to do what I want him to do. My faith makes him do what, he, uh, what I want him to do, right? He wants me to have what I want. All I've got to do, I just want you to think about this for a moment. In the, in the specifically talking about healing. So God, you're, you're saying that if everybody's supposed to be healed and God has these boxes that must be checked. God's saying, I love you and I know you're sick but you need to jump through these hoops and then prove yourself. And if you do that and you get everything right, then I'll heal you. Does that sound like love to you? It sounds cruel to me. And yet that is this, this solving of the healing puzzle that you, you can't ever make a, a negative confession. If you say one single thing, the devil can steal your healing, right? And those things... Guys, that's bordering on spiritual abuse. And, and I'm using those terms because that's what it is. You are manipulating people. You are saddling people with shame and guilt. Not only do they deal with their children who are dealing with things that, that they would take upon themselves if they could. They're fighting cancer. They've got, they've got issues. They want to see their child healed. And you're telling them, all you've got to do is have enough faith all you've got to do is jump through these hoops, and if you do it just right, then your child will be healed. But if you don't, well, that's, that's cruelty. 
And you're telling me that's the message that the church wants to put out in the world? Guys, we got to get our doctrine right on this stuff, all right? We're hurting people. We're leaving people shattered in the, in the church's wake. And that is never what the church was meant to do. So we have, that's why it's important to know what the Bible says. So did Jesus really teach that you get whatever you want right now? And that's the point. The whole point is that you have the best life right now, okay? Because I think the American dream has kind of seeped in to the American church theology, all right? Was the, thr- the thrust of Christ's ministry proclaiming the good news that you can have whatever you want physically, whether it be money or whether it be physical healing, is that the gospel? Is that the gospel? Is it now or is it something we get in the future? But the answer is, it's both. We get now and we get some in the future, okay? We really need to take care in understanding this and keep our priorities in this life and doctrinally in line with what Scripture actually says or we run the risk of hurting people along the way, all right? They walk away from the Lord and they never return because they've been burned by the church. They've been hurt. Um, We have to rightly divide the truth so that we, His church, can proclaim the pure, undefiled, undefiled, powerful, powerful gospel. I... I had a little too much coffee or something. My mouth wants to go faster than my brain. But the the church can proclaim the pure, undefiled, powerful gospel to the world and not something that's watered down or twisted or, uh, you know, a a little bit of truth with a lot of lie or a lot of lie mixed with a little bit of truth. It's so dangerous. Okay? Anything that you mix with the gospel makes it a mutated, powerless, counterfeit gospel that ruins people's lives. That's just the fact. So here's the truth. Jesus came to save us. Jesus came to save us. And his priority number one was saving us from the penalties of our sin, which is eternal separation from a holy God. If you are unrighteous, if you are unbelieving, then you cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. It's impossible for you to be with him if you do not know him. So his ministry and the gospel is all about preparing us for eternity. It's all about forming and fitting a family together that will spend eternity with him. Okay, so right now we have spiritual blessings. We, the church, get to, um, get to walk in the power of the spirit. We get to uh, exercise our faith in the word of God and how it enlightens us and how we, we uh, can impact the lives of the people around us Uh, that we love, okay? But the question is, can we expect more? Is that something as believers that we should expect? Should we be out there raising the dead? Should we be out there in the hospitals healing the sick? Is that on our shoulders? Is that what we're supposed to be doing? And the answer is no. That is not what we are called to do. And here's, uh, here's the deal. Here's a question. Did Jesus teach that following him was about the here and now? Did he teach that following him was about the here and now? Now we can say, well, of course, once you follow him and you're a believer, then the whole point of the gospel, then I like to say it this way. Your life is all about you until the moment that you make Jesus your Lord. And then your life is about everybody else. 
You can be selfish up until the time you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and you, and you make Him your Lord and start walking out those steps in faithfulness. But the question is this. Is it about the here and now? Or was Jesus' point something else? Let's take a quiz. So Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. Here's what it says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So is he talking about the here and now or about eternity? He's talking about eternity. Matthew 10, 28. Matthew 10, 28. Matthew 10, 28. Jesus said, And do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Is He talking about the here and now, or is He talking about eternity? He's talking about eternity. Luke 9, 23 through 26. Luke 9, 23 through 26. Luke 9, 23 through 26. And He was saying to them all, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, this is the one who will save it. For what good does it do a person if he, uh, what profit does it do a person if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes into his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. Is he talking about the here and now or is he talking about eternity? He's talking about eternity. Luke 13, 28 through 30. Luke 13, 28 through 30. Luke 13, 28 through 30. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves being thrown out, and they will come from east and west, from north and south, and will recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. He's saying in this earth, when we get to this new reality, it's going to be flip-flopped. Is he talking about the here and now, or is he talking about the priority being eternity? He's talking about eternity. John 6, 26 John 6, 26. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. So is he talking about the here and now, or is he talking about eternity? He's talking about eternity. All right, so let's look at this particular account more closely. It's really interesting, and I'm going to begin to wrap things up here, but it's going to culminate in this... uh, this story of the feeding of the 5,000 and the events that are transpiring around that event. So there was, there was the feeding of the 5,000 and then there was the feeding of the 4,000. Okay, two different events. The, the, the writers of the Gospels didn't get that wrong. Okay, there were two different events. All right, so Mark 6, 41 through 52. Mark 6, 41 through 52. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples again and again to set before them. And he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And they picked up 12 
full baskets of broken pieces of bread and of the fish. There were 5,000 men who ate the loaves. That means there were women and children there too. There were 12 baskets left over. And I submit to you that this is Jesus um, pointing to the kingdom, the 12 tribes of Israel. When he did the 4,000, there were seven, seven baskets left over. And I submit to you that that was significant of the church. So we see that Jesus was always either talking about Israel and God's plan for Israel or the church. And the number seven often refers to the church, the, 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 the office of the Holy Spirit and the manifold wisdom of God, the, the seven spirits. We have the letters to the seven churches. So all that's a very interesting study. Uh, and then verse 45, it says... Um, and immediately Jesus had his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he himself dismissed the crowd and after saying goodbye to them, he left for the mountain to pray. Now, why did Jesus go off alone? Well, again, Scripture interprets Scripture. When we look in John six fifteen, we see why Jesus left. And look here, again, it's pointing not to the physical fulfillment, the here and now, but rather to eternity. Look, John 6, 15. So Jesus, aware that they intended to come and take him by force to make him their king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. So all these people just got fed. They just saw Jesus perform all these miracles and they began to work themselves up into a frenzy and they wanted to go seize Jesus and force him. Man, can you imagine what we could do to Rome if Jesus was the guy, okay? So Jesus dismisses them and, and walks away from them alone to make certain that they calm down and they don't try to do that. So he was, again, he was doing what was necessary in order for God's will to unfold properly. Mark 6, 47, Mark 6, 47. We're going to pick up the story here. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea. He was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars. So he looks out on the sea and he sees the disciples and there's, there's uh, big waves and they're straining at the oars. And I love this. Uh, For the wind was against him at about the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea. Right here, I love this. And he intended to pass by them. He's like, eh, they'll, they'll be okay. He sees them straining in the middle of the storm, and it says he intended to pass by them, okay? But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them, and he said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. So again, their minds were blown once again after they had seen Jesus perform all these miracles. And it says why they were utterly astonished, verse 52, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Now this is saying that they were in that moment actually rebellious. They were, in their hearts, they hardened their hearts towards what happened with the loaves and fishes because they did not understand the, the spiritual significance of what had just happened. We get another glimpse of the condition of their hearts and the hearts of the Pharisees, as well as many of Jesus' disciples in Mark chapter 8. If you'll turn to Mark chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 11. Mark 8, verse 11. Mark 8, 11, and we're going to read quite a bit in this chapter. 
And the Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, demanding from him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, he said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly I say to you that no sign will be given to this generation. In other uh, gospels, he says, except the sign of Jonah, which is Jonah uh, being swallowed by the great fish and he was in the belly of that fish for three days, he's referencing the resurrection. He's saying, you're not going to get any more signs. The biggest sign that you're going to see is when I rise from the dead. That's what he's telling them, okay? And leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And the, listen to the disciples. I just love, it's, it's, it's amazing. Verse 14, And the disciples had, had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So Jesus is teaching them about the wickedness of, of Herod and the Pharisees. And they began to discuss with one another, completely missing the spiritual significance of what Jesus was teaching. The, they were discussing with one another the fact that they had no physical, actual bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not comprehend or understand? Do you still have your heart hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces you picked up? And they said 12. And when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said to him, seven. I said it was supposed to be 12, wasn't it? Did I say 12? Okay, all right. All right, seven. And he's saying to them, do you not understand? Do you not understand the whole point of the physical miracle that I performed in feeding the 5,000 and the 4,000. The whole point was to point to the eternal message, the spiritual significance of me coming to reconcile you with God the Father. That's the whole purpose. You must believe Him. You must come unto me to secure your soul for eternity. That's the whole point. And they were talking about food. Jesus was performing miracles, again, to make the larger issue the priority. And that is every human being's desperate need for Him to secure them for eternity, to call them by name so that they would not perish and be separated from Him forever. Now let's turn to John 6, again, for even more clarification. That's what's beautiful about the Gospels, that you can go to each one and see different details from each uh, author's perspective. John 6, verse 22. So, so let me just set this stage a little bit for you so you understand. Jesus just fed all these people on one side of the Sea of Galilee. They go across to the other side. People are looking for them because they want their healing and they want their food. Okay? That's why they're there. And so they walk all the way around the Sea of Galilee and they're waiting for him on the other side after a period of time. And that's where this picks up. The next day, the crowd that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one and that Jesus had not gotten into the boat 
uh, with his disciples, but that his disciples had departed alone. Other small boats came from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples, they themselves got into small boats and came to Capernaum looking for Jesus. So they traveled there some by boat, uh, some of them walked around. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, now listen to this exchange. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs and the purpose of the signs, but because you ate some of the loaves and were filled. Like I filled your bellies and that's why you're here. Okay? Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore, they said to Jesus, what are we to do so that we may accomplish the works of God? So what do they ask for next? Oh, well, if you're not going to do it, then what do we need to do so that we can have some of that miracle mojo and we can make food ourselves, right? We want to multiply food for us. So they wanted it, right? They wanted their food. They wanted their fill. They wanted it to be there tangibly, okay? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. That's the purpose, for you to believe in Him. Believe in me. Then they responded. So they said to Him, What then are you doing as a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work are you performing? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, He gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Isn't it interesting that when people are manipulating, they often quote Scripture to do it. The devil did the same thing to Jesus when and he, he used... And, and honestly, what was the temptation that the devil used with Jesus? It was, the, it was for him to get what he wanted right now. Oh, you're hungry? Turn these stones to bread. Oh, look at the world. Like, you're going to be king one day? I can give you the kingdom right now, and you can skip the cross altogether. It was skipping suffering in order to have what I want right now. Do you see the plan of the enemy? It's all, and, and the nature of mankind is to do the same thing, okay? He says, um, so here's what they're doing. They're trying to manipulate Jesus because they're pitting him against Moses, all right? They're saying, hey, well, by the way, Moses was a prophet, and he, he had the miracle of the manna in the wilderness, right? Y'all all know the story, the manna in the wilderness, they gathered it, they ate it, they were filled, and, and so, that, so they're pitting Jesus against Moses in this statement, Okay, And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. How can you be so dense? How can these people be so dense? He's, he's, he's laying it out for them. And they said, whatever bread that is, Jesus, give it to us. We always want to have bread. So their minds were still on physical bread, on physical food. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He had to spell it out for them. The one who comes to me will not be hungry. And the one who believes in me will never be thirsty. But I said to you that you have indeed seen me and yet you do not believe. 
Everything that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of everything he has given me, I will lose nothing, but will raise it up on the last day. He's pointing to eternity. Believe in me so that you may be raised up again on the last day. You'll be resurrected and glorified and we'll get to live forever for eternity. Forget this bread right now. Forget it. That's not why I'm here. For this is the will of my father. Pop quiz. Is he talking about the here and now or is he talking about eternity? He's talking about eternity. Verse 41. So then the Jews were complaining about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. And they were saying, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? So now they're challenging Jesus's credibility. Okay. First, they're trying to manipulate him by pitting, pitting him against Moses. Now they're questioning his credibility. Well, you're just a man. Jesus answered and said to them, Stop complaining among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. He's talking about himself. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Now listen what he says here to them. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and the result is they died. Yeah, they got their miracle in the here and now, but they still died. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about eternal life. If you take this bread, you will live forever. You will have food forever. Verse 50, this is the bread that comes down out of heaven so that anyone may eat from it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. And if anyone eats from this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I give for the life of the world is also my flesh. So he's telling them, I'm going to be crucified. He's basically alluding to his crucifixion. Then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. That's communion, by the way. That's what he's pointing to, uh, partaking in the fellowship of his suffering and becoming a follower of Christ no matter the cost. That's what he's talking about when he says, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Of course, they, again, very densely assume that he's talking about cannibalism, okay? And he says, the one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me. And I live because of the Father. The one who eats me, he also will live because of me. All right. And then he says, verse 58, this is the bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate in the wilderness and died, but the one who eats this bread will live forever. How many times did he have to repeat himself? How many times did he, he make it so clear to them? He's saying the miracles aren't the point. The here and now aren't the point. There's a purpose for the miracles. The miracles are to point to the main point, which is that you need to be reconciled to God. And the only way you can be reconciled to God is through me, the Son of God. But human nature wants to focus on this second, this minute, this hour, this day. I 
am included in that. We are all that way. We have to fight against the tendency to always make things about us and make things about our life and what we can get right now. That is your nature. You need to understand that about your fleshly nature. We want the payoff now. We want the money now. We want to be known now. We want the respect now. We want the healing now. Do you understand what I'm saying? So Jesus, if you really love me, Give me my healing right now. Jesus, if you really love me, give me that. Uh, give me the money I need right now. And then we begin to try to manipulate God, don't we? Instead of trusting him. So Jesus is teaching. He's prioritizing eternity over getting the desires fulfilled in the flesh. And guys, even though I have compassion for people who need healing, and we should always pray for their healing because we're commanded to, and we believe that God can heal them, ultimately we, lay, we leave it in the hands of God. That's the way it works, okay? We, we rely on His providential and sovereign plan. And that way we know that we can trust Him. Whatever happens is what He wanted to happen. And we don't have to try to manipulate God. Look at John six fifty nine again. These things He said in the synagogue as He taught in Capernaum. So this was his continuing message as he began to preach. He was going synagogue to synagogue, preaching the same thing. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. All right. So let's look at uh, verse 60. I'm, I'm, I'm closing it down here. Just hang with me for a few more minutes. So then many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this statement is very unpleasant. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, aware that his disciples were complaining about this, said to them, is this offensive to you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascending to where He was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. So we should pray for our healing, but understand that we can get our miracle, but still die. We're st Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he still died again. That has to stink, right? Literally. <laughs> it's the Spirit who gives life. And Jesus says, these words I've spoken to you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I have told you that no one can come unto me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. So he's talking about Judas again. As a result, listen to this incredible statement. Jesus's own followers as a result of this, many of his disciples left and would no longer walk with him. You would say, if Jesus was here today, he would have my full and total commitment. I would follow him anywhere. But all Jesus had to say for almost all of, all of them except the 12 to walk away was eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like you have to deny yourself. This life is not about you. This life is not about your physical treasure. This life is all about eternity. And once you've accepted Christ, then we turn our attention, our time, our resources, everything we have to sharing the gospel and helping those who are hurting and, and the poor. And, and those are things that we all want to do in this local church. I want to do that. I want to reach out to people and help people, okay? And we can do that we got to get our act together first as a local body, okay? So the payoff isn't right now. And that caused people to walk away. Oh, oh, they thought, this is going to cost me? This, 
This might actually cost my life. I have to suffer. I have to follow you and take up my cross. I'm out. I would say that there are many people who wear the badge of Christianity today but have completely disengaged from what it means to be a true follower of Christ. It's very, very easy to say, oh yeah, I follow Jesus. But when the rubber meets the road, are you really following Jesus? Church, this time that we have on the earth, this is the proving ground. This is our chance to serve Him in freedom and love and serve other people. This is, again, where the rubber meets the road where we get to be faithful to Him. We get to rely on the Spirit of God to lead us in this life in wisdom. And as Paul said, we can be content in whatever state we are in, whether it's Texas or Oklahoma. Okay? Yeah, one of you laughed. So whatever state we're in, right? Whether if we're wealthy, we use our resources for His eternal purposes. And if we are healthy, then we will use our able bodies for His eternal purposes. If we have little to nothing, we rely on His provision, just as Jesus said the birds of the field and the flowers do. He cares so much more for you than He does for them. Do you not trust Him that He will provide exactly what you need? Maybe not in overabundance, but He will provide what you need in those times of little, in those times of want. If we are challenged in our health, will we trust in Him in the midst of those trials and those tribulations? What we do now, we have the opportunity to honor Him in whatever circumstance we're in, to spread the gospel, to encourage one another, our family. So please don't be enamored by the shiny objects in the world and don't be panicked by the wheels coming off or seemingly so. He is what matters most. You have 80 to 100 years on this earth and then we have eternity to spend with Him. Let's not get it twisted. Let's keep the main thing the main thing. Amen? Amen. So we can live our lives to the, the best of our ability and serve Him And one day we're going to get those physical whole bodies and we're going to get to walk on a a rejuvenated, recreated earth in the regeneration. And it's going to be amazing. But for now, this is our time to do what he's called us to do. I want to leave you with one last scripture to encourage you. One scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. Here's what it says. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen? Let's keep our focus on the eternal. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for your word. Lord, we we want to be a people who stand in faith and who pray for miracles and pray for your plan to unfold exactly as you will it to do so. Lord, the greatest faith is to pray the prayer, thy will be done. As Job prayed, though he slay me, I will trust him. Lord, that's off-putting. That's a hard teaching. Who can follow it?
But Lord, we will follow it. We will follow you. We'll do whatever you call us to do. We'll go wherever you want us to go. We'll sacrifice whatever you want us to sacrifice, Lord. We are yours. And our goal is that high calling in Christ Jesus, the eternity that we will get to spend with you. We love you, Jesus, with all our hearts. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you are encouraged by the truth of God's word. If you're in the Tulsa area and are looking for a local church family that teaches God's word, then join us at 1030 every Sunday morning. Or you can join us live online on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Until next time, brothers and sisters, as Paul instructed, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you.